I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. In today's episode, I speak with Ulisse Di Corpo, who holds degrees in experimental psychology and a PhD in statistics and social research. In 1977, he developed the vital needs theory, which was the subject of his thesis in psychology and statistics, and stems from the conflict between syntropy and entropy. Olise, to kick it off, what does syntropy actually mean? Well, it comes from the fundamental equations in physics, but uh, it helped me to solve the deep existential crisis I was in, in in that period. Well, what the fundamental equations of energy say is that there are two solutions. One is a forward and in-time solution of energy, and the other one is a backward in-time solution for energy. The second type of energy was considered to be impossible because it means that the future can retroact on the present. Uh, But if you look at the properties of these two types of energy, the first one is governed by the law of entropy. That means that you have the availability of energy and then it dissipates in the environment. The second one instead uh, describes the concentration of energy, the increasing complexity, the formation of structures. And uh, the properties are just those of life. So what comes out is that whereas the physical material side of reality is governed by the forward-in-time solution of entropy, life would be governed by this backward-in-time solution of energy. Well, this was discussed a lot uh, at the beginning of last century, but then... um, so they say I, I want to uh, double click on that because I'm not sure yes. I I completely understand. And so, um, can you break it down maybe for our audience who are unfamiliar with with some of these terms? And because um, 
are you saying that we have control over our future, if that's the case? No, not exactly. It means that I'm saying that we don't live in a causal reality, cause-effect reality, but in a super-causal reality. We are in the middle of, say, a flow of information that comes from the past and another one that comes from the future. The one that comes from the past is processed by our brain and we can know about it through our physical senses. The second one instead, it's processed by our autonomic nervous system. Now, if you do experiments uh, studying the parameters of the autonomic nervous system, like heart rate, frequency, and uh, skin conductancy, you find that these parameters react before future stimuli. So it seems that emotion, feelings, they propagate backward in time. And we would be in the middle of this two type of information. And we constantly have to decide if we want to follow our head or we want to follow our heart. Now, in so uh, let's say I, I want to pause there. I'm sorry because there's so much gold in what you're saying, and I want to yes. really make it okay. accessible for people who are, for the first time, you know, learning about these concepts. So, what you're saying is that we have kind of physiological experiences in our body before events happen. So, for exactly. example, if our, you know, palms start to sweat or our heart starts to race a little bit faster and maybe there's no present explanation for it. It's sort of a precognition to some future event. So that's like the one piece. And then the piece about the past is like, can we actually change our past or what's what's the connection there? I don't think I'm following that part. Well, now in this super causal model of reality, the future can act on the present and on the past. But uh, what allows the future to retroact towards the past are feelings and emotion. It's what we can do with our art. Now, uh, this is quite complex, but generally what people experience is this strange ability to have premonitions like for example it has been studied in iraq during war soldiers had the premonition of their attacks and this has saved a lot of people from difficult situations but also there were studies done on uh, commuter trains when a train has an accident there are less people that have boarded the train. It seems that people feel that something is going to happen and some of them feel ill and don't board the train. The same thing happens with airplanes. When an airplane crashes, after check-in, a number of people feel ill and they don't board the plane. So we constantly receive information from the future. And if we pay attention to these emotions, we can choose in a more advantageous way. Mm, Wow. So, and why do some people access information from the future while others don't? And is our present kind of state sort of an indication of what's to come? Or like, there's so many variables here, right? Like, what's the, (laughs) yeah, what is that about? 
Well, I, I think that everyone has the ability to feel the future, to have this inner feeling, inner emotions. But uh, we live in a culture that has focused on materiality, on the visible side of reality. And so it needs some training to learn how to feel the future. And this training can have aspects of meditation so that you focus on these inner feelings of the heart, but also it requires that you, uh, in a way, clean your autonomic nervous system, this inner side, from all what can cover these emotions. Because what happens is that when we're not going towards, say, syntropy, this, that is this vital energy that comes from the future, we feel void and suffering in our autonomic nervous system. Instead, when we are going towards syntropy, we feel warmth and well-being. It's like uh, the needle of a compass that it tells if you're going in the right direction or not. A lot of people inside themselves, they have these feelings of avoid suffering and anxiety. And what they to do is they cover these inner feelings. And when you cover these inner feelings, it's very difficult to feel the future. Mm. Well, so you talked about like how you can clear your autonomic nervous system. Cause I think like, I mean, case in point right now, so many people are like sitting in a space of fear and anxiety. So how can you discern the fear that you're creating in your own mind versus fear of the future of what's to come. Because I think that piece is where I feel like a lot of people say, oh, like I have an intuition, but really it's just they're in their like thoughts of fear and they're almost creating their future. Um, so I'm just curious, like what's the the difference between those two, if you have you know any observations there? Well, um, one of the key elements is not to have fear about the future. One of the person that was using a lot this inner feelings, these intuitive feelings, was, for example, Steve Jobs. Uh, he was an extremely intuitive person that was able to feel the future and the wealth and the richness of Apple. Apple computer came from this ability. Well, what he did was that he said one one of the most important things is not to fear death. If you don't fear death, anything that you do, in a way, you, you don't have to fear what your intuitions are telling you. And you don't have to fear your heart. You have to listen to it. So uh, one of the way of blocking people from feeling the future is to increase this state of fear and we need to come out of it and um, and this can be done uh, having a broader perspective of life in which we consider that death is a part of life and we don't have to fear death Wow, that's so fascinating. So amazing. I mean, yeah, I think that's the kind of central fear of all of us, right? Which this idea of the ego death, you know, no longer existing. Um, wow. So, so they say, I want to understand a little bit more about how we can actually perhaps go in and change our future. I mean, is there, do we have agency other than like 
you know, not being in a state of fear and accepting our death? Um, what can we do day in and day out? Like, how do you sort of operate in a space where you can show up and live your, your best life? Well, um, one thing is to trust what your heart is telling. And your heart speaks through emotions. I was saying it gives you uh, feelings of warmth and uh, well-being when you're going towards the uh, right direction. And it gives you feelings of void and suffering when you're going in a direction that is wrong. Uh, the problem is that it doesn't tell you what it is. Uh, it doesn't speak to you, speaks you to you with words. So you just have to trust these feelings and go in the direction where your heart is pointing to. And then you'll find that that was the right direction to follow. Now, the difficulty that a lot of people have is that they cover these feelings of the heart. So they are not able to listen to them in a clear way. In my personal life, what has helped me to focus more on these feelings is that uh, now it's nearly 50 years that I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, I be, began in, in, on the 19th of Feb February, uh, 72, and it's a, a long time, and that has helped me a lot to uh, have a direct contact with these inner feelings. And, and usually uh, avoiding everything that can um, act on your autonomic nervous system uh, helps you to uh, uh, pay attention to these feelings and uh, choose in a more appropriate way. Mm, I mean, that's so difficult, I think, for so many people to just be entirely in their heart. And um, yeah, and like you said, a lot of people have covered up their heart and like kind of like using their mind to to sort of make feelings in their from their heart uh, because we're not really taught that in culture to, to sort of make decisions from the heart or to, or to I guess, be in a state of, um, I guess, not have fear be in our heart, accept our death. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, how many people uh, are And, and don't are pay that? attention to what other people say. If your heart tells you to go in a direction, uh, that is what you have to do. Uh, we have to be independent from the judgment of other people. Hmm, amazing. And what have you found in your research on this piece? Like, is there, are there any stories that you can share with us about people that, um, you know, have kind of used this methodology or? Well, I think several people use this methodology. Like, um, one point with this idea about entropy and syntropy is that the world's intuition and synchronicities come from syntropy, from the future. And so we have to increase this syntropic side of our life, but uh, the future is invisible. So we have to increase the invisible side of our life. And, and that can be very difficult because since it, it is invisible, you don't know exactly how to do it. But on the other side, when you increase syntropy, entropy uh, reduces. And um, so a way to increase the invisible side, the syntropic side, is to reduce your entropic side. So that means that if you live in a 
minimalist way, reducing as much as possible your entropy, the syntropic side increases. And that brings well-being, worlds, and happiness in your life. And a lot of people have learned that. For example, I was saying uh, about Steve Jobs. He used to live a very minimalist and essential life. But another person that is using this trick is Elon Musk. He lives a very minimalist life. And this is a key element in order to have intuitions coming from the future. So you're saying you're saying that a minimalist life, like you know, to not have, to not to have meaning, and then to also have a minimalist life in terms of like not having a lot of possessions and focusing on. Can you say a little bit more about that? I really want to understand. Well, uh, that is a key element of the uh, this trick of increasing syntropy and receiving the. Uh, worlds and happiness from the future. Mm. And uh, I, I know that we're so focused on the material side that most people believe that happiness is achieved by increasing your uh, material side, but this only increases entropy and leads you towards, say, a low level of syntropy, and that means a difficult connection with the future and with the intuitions. So in a way, you have to start thinking in a in a very counterintuitive way, because we have been taught to follow certain ideas. But syntropy says that probably we should re- rethink uh, these ideas about where well-being and happiness is located. Mm, wow. So is that something that you practice too? They say the simplistic, <laughs> minimalistic. Yes, well, I, I, I practice it in my life. I, it happened to me to help other people to practice it. And it's a bit like magic because, you you know, the equations just tell you that if you reduce entropy, syntropy increases. And, and when syntropy increases, you have synchronicities that starts coming out. You have intuitions, visions, and uh, opportunities. And uh, it happened to me to help, I would say, many people in this direction, because it's not easy for someone to reduce its entropy. You need often the help by someone that has, say, is accustomed to this kind of tricks and games. And uh, really, I could see it in the equations that they say this would happen, but seeing it in reality, it really me- uh, looked like magic. It, uh, I, I didn't believe it at, at the beginning that it could be possible. Wow. Is there anything else that we could um, do um, to become more syntropic, um, to, to create these synchronicities? And how much, um, I guess, agency do we have um, in terms of, I guess, like building what you call heart and brain coherence? Yes. Well, um, what I would say is uh, uh, in this model, we have the heart that gives you, provides you the direction and the brain that provides you the tools. So they're both necessary, but in a way, the key element is the heart. Now we are focused on the brain, and so a lot of people have lost the direction in their life, and they feel their life 
meaningless and without a purpose. Instead, when you focus on the heart, you start finding the purpose, the meaning, and the direction of your life. Uh, the way how you can do it are many, and every person is different. So there is not a recipe that is common for everyone. Everyone has to try, experience, and see which solutions work with him. And I've written a lot of books in this field and also some novels to uh, make it more accessible. Um, they're all available on Amazon, these uh, books. There are also videos. And uh, so I would suggest maybe uh, if someone is interested to look at the website, which is syntropia.it, in which you can find all these links. Oh, great. And um, is there a particular book um, that you recommend for kind of first timers? Well, uh, you know, um, there is a book that I wrote in 96, and it was a novel, which is named The Theorem of Love. And now it's part of a trilogy. And I think that is a very uh, easy way to get in this type of concepts. Then there is a scientific way to approach all this, say, topic, but that might not be, say, uh, that easy at the beginning. So I would suggest uh, if someone is interested to start with this novel, The Theorem of Love. Okay, great. And one thing I'm thinking about in our, in our conversation is, you know, we talk a lot about um, kind of feeling states and the heart having a lot of um, wisdom as long as we can get out of out of a state of fear. Um, but what about um, being able to, you know, because I always say there's a difference between intuition and then also intention and creating, co-creating a reality. So, um, you know, other than than focusing more on becoming syntropic, is there any, or have you done any studies on being able to sort of shift? Like, let's say there's something coming um, that you don't like. Can you change your feeling state to create a different reality? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I've experienced that a lot. That uh, one of the um, tools that I use is silence. Like, uh, I've done a lot of Zen meditation and I... Uh, at the beginning, I found it very difficult because you have this chatter of your mind that uh, it's continuously working. Then slowly, when you start uh, doing the, the silent meditation, you have spaces that starts dividing uh, this thought, this chatter in your mind. And these spaces slowly grow wider. And in these spaces where there is no thought, if you put an intention, then it really propagates and it has an effect. Uh, so what I suggest is to try to learn this technique of calming our, the chatter of our mind in such a way that our intentions can get in this very calm sea of syntropy and propagate uh, in all the directions. Now, one thing that I've done with, like uh, I was in 
California in uh, 2012 for a conference on science and non-duality. And I was hosted uh, by a friend, a healer, that was quite a famous healer. Uh, now he's, um, he died a few years ago. And he was saying passionate for the Giants and the world, the baseball uh, finals mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And so he was trying to do this healing on this, the players of the Giants to uh, have them uh, win the games, but it didn't work. The Giants <laughs> were just <laughs> continuously losing. So what I told him was that according to Syntropy, if you work in a retrocausal way, uh, the effect amplifies. Um, and this is a very important law is that whereas with entropy, you have to increase the cause to have a bigger effect. With syntropy, you have to reduce it as much as possible, but have it in a retrocausal way so that it amplifies. And it, it is what is normally called a butterfly effect. Well, uh, Elise, can you say more about that? Because, sorry, I just want to understand can you give us an example? Yeah. Yes. This butterfly effect was discovered in 1963 by Lawrence. He was a meteorologist. He found that uh, a very small variation, if it was in line with a tractor, so we have causes in the past and attractors in the future, uh, could amplify and produce very big events like a hurricane. In the, he said, uh, a flap of a butterfly in the Amazonia can cause a hurricane in the United States. And this uh, law uh, is used in many fields, like, for example, in homeopathy, water is used to produce the remedies, but you put the active substance and then it's diluted to the point that you're sure that there is not even a molecule of the active substance. Well, the more you dilute the remedy, the more it becomes powerful. And that is the reason why they say that homeopathy can't be real, it's not scientific, because there is nothing in the remedy because you have diluted it. But the effects of homeopathy can be seen, for example, in, ag in agriculture or in animals that uh, would not be, say, under a placebo effect, that would not be affected by this placebo effect. So let's, can we take that example into the intention uh, example? So specifically, if let's say, you know, with the giants, if he wanted the giants yes. to win. Well, uh, okay, what happened what should with he, the giants? Yeah, what should he have done is basically what well, uh, well, what he started doing was to record the game uh, without knowing what the result was and then look at the game and start doing this healing on a game that had already happened. Working in this way, uh, the Giants started winning the games and scoring results which were just incredible, and they won the the Super Bowl in a totally unexpected way. Surely it was a coincidence, but the idea is that if you work in a retrocausal way, the effect amplifies and can become very powerful. And it is what is, is also true with homeopathy, because homeopathy 
works following this retrocausal so, uh, so you're saying, effect. oh, they say that if an event already happened, then you can go back to it and then kind of go in and, and set your intention and healing or like look at the sort of videotape of the event after it happened. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, in a way, uh, because of this game between past and future, the past is not totally fixed. Wow. But in order to, <laughs> in order to affect on the past, you need to use uh, feelings and emotions. It's uh, something that is done on the heart level. This means that we can go back in the past in order to improve the past. We cannot go back in the past to kill someone, but we can go back in the past to, say, solve difficulties mm -hmm. and situations. And this, in a way, can explain how miracles work. Because if you go in the past of a person and solve his, the beginning of the illness of that person, then the illness in the present just disappears. So this is a very important point that I haven't heard from a lot of folks, like about going into the past to change the present and the future. And so how how often does this need to happen? And by the way, for anyone listening, <laughs> this should be done only in a for positive things, <laughs> right? Well, it, uh, it doesn't work if you want to do it in a negative way, because uh, you can do only what the attractor uh, wants to do. So you're just a tool in the hands of the tractor and the tract is syntropic and works for life mm. doesn't work for death wow so so if you provide yourself to the intention of the tractor you can change the past but you cannot change whatever you want to so it's not mm, up to you what you can change or not it is uh, up to this final end this uh, a tractor <laughs> that retracts from the future to, in a way, to choose what has to be done. So it's basically choosing life, even at the expense of your own kind of personal agenda. But I imagine that for people that may have had like traumatic childhoods or kind of, you know, inner child issues that keep coming up, that they can go back to these past moments, relive them and sort of heal them. Yes. Well, uh, that is a possibility. It is, um, in a way, it is done also people that do hypnotherapy, they often use a kind of approach of this kind because in hypnotherapy time becomes unitary past present and future are not anymore divided and so you can in a way go in the past of the person which is the real past it's not all these memories and and change what happened then and you see the the changes in the present then Mm, wow, that's so fascinating. And so can you speak a little bit more about the brain and heart coherence, maybe um, defining it for folks? I, I know we didn't do that earlier, um, but I, I just think it would be important. I know that there's a lot of people that are speaking now about the word coherence, and I think we're using it in the mainstream, but like, I don't think it has actually hit the mainstream. So um, yeah, like what is what does that sort of mean energetically? Maybe you could tell. Well, folks. you know, the the problem is often that the heart and the pr brain are in a conflict. Mm. 
they don't work together. So what we need to do is that the brain has to learn that he's a tool of the heart. Um, so if we have to look at a hierarchy, we first have the heart in the first position, and then the brain as a tool of the heart. And when the brain accepts to be the tool of the heart, uh, then you start building this cooperation and coherence between heart and brain. And uh, for example, just to give an idea, in, in the West, we have the idea that consciousness is in the brain. In the East, instead, the idea is that consciousness is in the heart. And that has huge implications, because that means that if our head, in a way, stops working, like in, in a coma, uh, our consciousness is still alive, but in a different way, saying this uh, kind of unitary space-time that we experience at our heart level. Wow. And I imagine that if people are using or, or making decisions from the head and then the heart is following, that a lot of it is probably not syntropic. Yes. Well, we should first see what the heart tells and which is the direction. And then we should provide the tools that our head, our rationality has. And uh, this is what um, distinguishes people that are intuitive, is that intuitions are made uh, following your heart. And then the head uh, follows the intuition. And um, this was something that Steve Jobs was always telling, that he learned in India the power of intuition. So he was having these incredible intuitions, which were totally irrational. And then he had, in a way, to, um, to have his brain follow these intuitions. And when brain and heart start working together, this process is not that difficult and complicated because often people really leave this uh, battle between the head and the heart instead of a harmony. Mm, yeah, I think we need to teach classes on this topic because I feel like so many people are disconnected from their hearts and also, you know, from a multitude, I think, of traumas, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and we're just not taught to to really feel into our heart and to stay in our heart, um, especially at work, right? Like, especially in our jobs, um, which re require often left brain thinking. Um, but wow, and Steve Jobs, I remember reading vaguely or reading somewhere that the book that he carried around everywhere was Autobiography of a Yogi. Yes, I don't know if that's if that's true, but uh, that is true. Yes. So oh, I have so many more questions and I know we're coming up at time, but I'm curious, you know, what's sort of the biggest surprise that you have found from this work and how have you used it in your own life? Well, I must say that my life is totally concentrated in this direction. But the biggest surprise have been synchronicities. Because when you start working in this direction, the future starts entering in your present. 
and uh, the future manifest uh, as coincidences that are meaningful coincidences. And I had so many, and it happens continuously to have these synchronicities that at the beginning you just think they're uh, say incredible coincidences and then you start learning that they are there to in a way uh, give you a path towards uh, the direction that you have to follow so they are meaningful they're providing you a way that it is important to follow and uh, um, the invisible side of reality really works in ways which are totally different from rationality and that we need to in a way get familiar with and start uh, trusting uh, because it is very difficult to follow your heart because we tend not to trust what our heart is telling us because we're we have been always taught to follow our head so in a way it's a totally a shift in the way how we uh, give priorities in our life and oh they say how is uh following the heart different than like some people say like somatically like they feel you know some sort of i don't know pain in the belly or and i'm curious because like how is that different from body trauma well, I, uh, as I was telling you before, we have mainly two signals. One is uh, warmth and well-being in our solar plexus, in our heart area. Then one is uh, void and suffering, which usually people call anxiety or angst. And these two uh, signal. Um, provide you information about where you're heading to, where mm. you're going to. So it is very important to listen to the signals and try to find when you're feeling warm, warmth and well-being, because that is the direction that we have to follow. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm so curious about... Um you know, some of the the kind of somatic feelings versus the heart versus the head. Cause I think a lot of people are confused, you know, about all these things and, and, um, and what they mean, but the warmth, I mean, the warmth is great. I think it's sometimes it can be hard to discern whether that relates to a person, your job, right? Like, I think that's the piece to me that feels, um, hard for people, right? Like how do we make sense of this feeling, uh, is it, does it, you know, does it apply to just your personal life, your professional life? And and is that, that's kind of like the job of the person to figure out what that means. Well, uh, yes, you know, uh, these feelings are not usually associated with information. And that is the difficulty because you know that they're telling you something, uh, but you don't know what, what they're telling you. The important thing is to learn to follow the feelings of warmth and well-being, the direction that they're heading to. It needs time and training. And, uh, you know, often when you have to do very important decisions, you have just a matter of a few seconds to decide. So you cannot use your rationality. 
it is extremely important if you have to do big decisions to be trained to listen to your heart because your heart tells you which is the decision that you have to follow. Mm, I love that. Um, and how, what is your perspective on the pandemic in terms of centropy and entropy? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is very uh, complex. Uh, in, you know, looking at it as a statistician, if you look at the data, you see that in China, the pandemic was solved in uh, February 2020. So they had the therapies, the cures, they knew what to do, and uh, they have had only very limited cases since in the last two years. Uh, because when uh, they they what they do, they do continuously this test of the population to find positive people. When they find positive people. They do a quarantine and they are treated immediately with these um, uh, therapies that are effective. Now, when uh, the pandemic started in Italy in March 2020, uh, Chinese doctors came to Italy uh, to bring materials, but also to bring the knowledge of the treatments that were effective. Well, what there is a big discussion on this point in Italy is that the health department just stopped the Chinese from teaching to their the doctors in Italy how to save people, what therapies they could use. And all the doctors that were following these protocols, they were stopped or kicked away from hospitals or removed us from the, say, list of uh, medical doctors. So uh, it seemed, uh, it is clear that there was no intention to have a therapy working. And there are a lot of trials going on on this topic in Italy because the idea is that they didn't want effective therapies in order to say that only the vaccine was the only possible remedy. And this is very clear with the numbers because you see that uh, in China there are no cases, whereas in the West we have a huge, an explosion. Now, my impression is that with this Omicron, uh, we will have, um, say, it works like a natural vaccine, that it will provide the herd immunity to the population. And so in a, in a matter of a couple of months, I think COVID will be totally over. Uh, that is my impression. Yes. And will, the way this will be, um, this episode will be launched a couple months out. So <laughs> I guess we'll find out if that's that's the case, that but is true or not. yeah. <laughs> um, so let's say um, this has been so fascinating. Um, thank you so much for your time. What do you want to tell our listeners about your kind of main takeaway as like a call to action? What's sort of the last few things that you want to leave our our listeners with? Well, um, what I think it's very important is that people should learn to think in an independent way. Uh, so we don't have to follow what other people say, but just follow what 
uh, our heart and our mind in a way are telling. And uh, it is very difficult but because when you start uh, being an independent person, then a lot of other people start having difficulties with you. But this provides you with very big possibilities and opportunities. So just feel free and be independent. Mm, wow. Amazing. And where can people find you, say, Where are there... Are there resources that you can point folks to? Well, I, I would point to this website, which is syntropia.it, uh, or there is another website, which is syntropy.org. And it's spelled differently in Italy, correct? Syntropy spelled uh, in Italy, it's, uh, it is spelled with uh, I and not with Y. Yes. So it is uh, S-I-N-T-R-O-P-I-A. Dot it and uh, you'll find uh, a lot of material in that website amazing or just put on the web my name i'm the only one that has the name ulisse di corpo and you'll find uh, information about syntropy and ulisse is spelled with it u l i s e e for those who are listening no no s s e oh no u l i s s e D-I-C-O-R-P-O. Okay. Well, I'm so happy that I got that. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Lisa. this has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like we just scratched the surface. So I'm excited to dive in and learn a lot more and read the theorem of love uh, as a first start. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, it's, it's available on Amazon. So Amazing. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank it's, you a lot for the opportunity. And Oh, thank you so much, Ilse. It was so wonderful. For our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learn about entropy and syntropy and how heart and brain coherence can change your life. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.